Trinity Central. We exist to make God central to our lives and our world. You are listening to a recording of one of our Sunday messages. For more information, please go to trinitycentral.org. Have you ever encountered what you would consider dark spiritual forces? Hmm. I remember... uh, when I was um, in college at Edmonton, Alberta, I was uh, taking the bus and um, just going from downtown back to my home, and I kind of forget what the occasion was. And I had this encounter with a man on the bus, and I don't even know how it started, but I ended up in a conversation with this guy, and it was the most bizarre and intense experience that I've probably had in my life. He had these kind of eyes that just seemed to like look right through you. And I don't remember much of the, the, the conversation anymore. What I do remember, I actually don't particularly want to repeat. Um, but as I kind of tore myself away and got off that bus, I felt, in a sense, kind of like violated. I felt like I had encountered something deeply, deeply, deeply unpleasant. And it really rattled me for a long time. And uh, it was really only um, some years later when I came to faith in Jesus Christ and I started understanding the things of the Spirit and how the Spirit was in me and he that is in me is greater than he that is in the world that I, I was like, you know what, I don't have to worry about running into this guy or whatever have you. I don't need to be afraid of that. But it was something that I found deeply, deeply disturbing. And I think that's not uncommon. I was reading a biography of a Chinese Christian man called Pastor Xi. And... Um, Amazing, amazing man of God uh, who, did, who, did, uh, who, who God used to do wonderful and glorious things. And one of the things that he did just as part of his daily ministry was he would have these encounters with people who were oppressed by demons, and he would um, cast them out. Um, but, you know, it was interesting. He, he said he didn't enjoy doing it, not because he didn't like people being set free. He did, but he, just the encounters were so deeply unpleasant, you know, like... It, There are dark spiritual forces in this world, and they're real. And you probably have some stories. And if you don't have stories, well, praise God for that. But uh, there is a reality. And we're going to be looking at um, the reality of that in our passage today. We are preaching through the book of Acts. And we have um, Paul and Barnabas with their assistants, John, who have been sent out from the church in Antioch, which is in modern-day Turkey, just on the uh, east coast of the Mediterranean Sea. They've been sent out uh, to preach the gospel in various places in the Roman Empire. And the first place that they go to is the island of Cyprus. And I think we have a map uh, there. And Cyprus is just at the east coast, or yeah, in the east of the Mediterranean Sea. And um, they kind of start at the top right there at Antioch, and they go to Salamis and eventually to Paphos. I always just like maps. I like to know like, where we are when people are talking about places. Okay, so I'm just going to read Acts 13, verses 4 through 12. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Paul and Barnabas and sought to hear the word of God. 
But Eliamist, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hands. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. And dear Father, we just ask that um, as I preach your word today, as we get into this passage, uh, that you would uh, reveal to us who you are, that you would reveal to us your word, you would reveal to us the truth, you would reveal to us the kingdom of Jesus, your son, and that you would clear our minds, Lord God, and open our eyes, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so Paul and Barnabas uh, go to Cyprus, and they start proclaiming the word of God in the synagogues. Uh, You might think that an interesting choice, but that is something that they did throughout their missionary journey. Wherever they came to a new place, they would first go to the synagogue, where Jewish people and also uh, Gentile people who were interested in Judaism would gather to hear teaching. And they would start preaching in those synagogues. And one of the reasons that they did that was these people actually had some background in the ways of God. Um, So in one sense, it's kind of a low-hanging fruit kind of a thing. And the other reason that they did it is that that's what Jesus did. Jesus said, you know, I've come first to the people of Israel. And so they kind of honored that in their uh, preaching across uh, the Roman world. They went first to the synagogues. And so they go to the synagogues in in, uh, Salamis, and they start preaching. And what is the content of their message? Well, we don't really have that, but we do have um, what Paul says... um, just a little bit further in a journey, we have in, later in this chapter, we have one of Paul's preaches to the Jewish people in the synagogue. And basically what Paul does is he kind of lays a foundation. He says, you know, you remember how God blessed the nation of Israel uh, in Egypt and how God then rescued them from Egypt and God took them to the promised land and he established them there, gave them their own country. And then he, he talks about, you know, King David and how God promised that from King David, a savior would come. And that Savior, Paul says, is Jesus Christ. And, but the people of Israel didn't recognize Jesus Christ when he came, so they had him crucified. But Jesus rose from the dead, and, and then Paul makes his big proclamation. And this Jesus, this is the Savior um, who God has promised to the people of Israel. And looking at verse uh, 38 and 39, he says, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be free by the law of Moses. So Jesus is the one through whom forgiveness of sins is proclaimed. And that's a very familiar message to Christians. But if you're uh, not a Christian and you're here this morning, welcome. Getting good on you for coming. Um, And basically what Paul is saying, very briefly, is that because of sin, because of evil in the human heart, which works its way out in, in what we do and how we are, we are cut off from God. God is holy, and evil cannot coexist with God. 
So humanity is left at this vast remove from God. There's God who is holy, there's humanity far from holy. And how do they get together? And what Paul says is how they get together is Jesus. Jesus is the one who takes our sin, pays for our sin, washes us clean somehow by his blood on the cross. And through that, by believing in Jesus, having faith in him, we can now come to God. We can have our relationship with God restored and we can start living a new life. And that is the promise of Jesus. So that's what they've been uh, praying about and that's what they've been teaching to the non-Christians. But as they teach... um, as they go through the islands, uh, word kind of comes to the Sergius Paulus guy, who is the governor of the province of Cyprus. It's one of the areas of the Roman Empire. And he decides, hey, I, I'm kind of interested. I want to hear what these guys are saying. So he summons Paul and Barnabas to him. And that's interesting, isn't it? Because this wasn't Paul, part of Paul and Barnabas's plan. Uh, but this is the Holy Spirit kind of working things out. Probably the most influential citizen on the island, the Sergius Paulus, uh, summons them uh, to come and speak to them. And it's at that point that we see something that starts cropping up over and over again through these missionary journeys, which is opposition, which is an encounter with the spiritual forces of darkness. This uh, Eliamus the magician guy, now, I don't know, I'm kind of an older guy, so when I think of magician, I think of like Doug Henning. Anybody remember Doug Henning? Canadians here? Yeah. He was like an 80s, oh, thank you. He was an 80s magician. He had like the long rocker hair, and he had like a mustache, and he was really smiley, and at one point he actually ran to be the Prime Minister of Canada, uh, but it never worked out. Um, but anyhow, like when I think magician, I think of kind of like a goofy guy, you know, or maybe not somebody goofy, maybe somebody pretty cool, like Penn and Teller or something, but they're, 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 you know, the hand is quicker than the eye. They're tricking you. There's no actual magic involved. They're tricking you. You know, and I think when we see, hear something like this, Elymas the magician, that's kind of the picture that we get into our heads. And the reason for that is the air that we breathe is materialistic. You know, whether or not we say we believe this, in Western culture, there's a very dominant thought form that says that if you can prove it scientifically, then it's true. And if you can't prove it scientifically, well, then it's not true. And then, you know, at some point, we kind of came up with a, a new category that, oh, there's also the true for you category, okay? So you can believe in Jesus or believe in Allah or believe in crystals or believe in whatever. That's true for you. It's not in the true box. It probably belongs in the false box. That's a bit rude. We all got to get along. So there's a true for you category, okay? And that is something that we imbibe into our very souls if we've grown up in the West. Even if we're Christians, even if we say we believe in the supernatural, uh, and certainly if we're non-Christians, this is something that's just part of the air that we breathe. So when I told my story of this guy on the bus who totally freaked me out, probably what many of you thought was mental illness. Yeah? Yeah. That's kind of the category that we would tend to put that in. We know what that is. We can kind of talk about it scientifically. You know, there's nothing weird or freaky or supernatural about it, just mental illness. But the Bible does not live 
or operate in that universe. What the Bible says is that there are dark spiritual forces, as well as, hallelujah, good spiritual forces. And I, I forget who brought this. Dave brought this a few weeks ago. And they're not equal. They're not equal. The forces of light, God is far more powerful than the kingdom of darkness. Hallelujah. But, but the biblical world, a.k.a. the real world, the true world, is one of spiritual forces. That's real. And this Elymas the magician wasn't a guy doing tricks. He wasn't pulling rabbits out of hats. He was somebody who, through his relationship, either being... Um, he basically used dark spiritual forces to gain power, essentially. He had some sort of communication or congress with demonic forces that allowed him to probably do things like perhaps tell the future. I lived in uh, Taiwan for many years, and in that place, it was very much a reality that there were spirit mediums, people who were identified by priests at some of the temples as, you are particularly suited to be the host to a spirit, and we're going to train you to welcome that spirit in, and when you're in that place, sort of a trance kind of a place, we're going to ask you questions, and you'll be able to tell the future, and we're going to make a lot of money off of that. That literally happens today in Taiwan, okay? And it, folks, it's not like it doesn't work. If it never worked, nobody would go, okay? There's a reality to this. It's not good, but there's a reality to these dark spiritual forces. And that's what Elymas is. Let's look at Ephesians 2. You know, it's all very well for me to say all these things, but we've got to also kind of back it up biblically. Ephesians 2. This is what Paul says to the Ephesian church. And he's talking about their state before they became Christians. He says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. You see, what Paul is doing there is he is describing their position before they come to Christ. And he says, your position was that you were under the thumb of these dark spiritual forces. This prince of the power of the air, uh, that's a name for a being that we call Satan. And he says, you were on that team. You were spiritually dead before you came to Christ, and that's the team that you were on. There's no neutrality in this. You're either in the kingdom of darkness or you're in the kingdom of light. And what Paul and Barnabas are trying to do is they're trying to take people from the kingdom of darkness and bring them into the kingdom of light. That is literally the purpose of what they're doing. They're not trying to bring people to a new philosophy. They're not just bringing some cool ideas to people. They're trying to save people from the kingdom of darkness. We can see that in Colossians. Uh, Colossians 1, verses 3 and 4. It says this. He has delivered us from, or sorry, 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So he's talking about we've come to Christ and we've been transferred from one kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, to the kingdom of his Son, the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And friends, the point I want to make this morning is that when we speak to people about Jesus, we are conducting spiritual warfare. 
Speaking, people, speaking to people about Jesus is spiritual warfare. What we are trying to do is we are trying to wrest people from the kingdom of darkness and bring them to the kingdom of Jesus. And we don't do that because we're so powerful. We do that with the message of the gospel. It's Jesus who is powerful. It's Jesus who makes this happen. So it's a battle. It's a spiritual battle. So we shouldn't be surprised. Who finds it difficult sometimes to talk to people about Jesus? Anyone? No, just me? Okay. Yeah, no, a lot of hands went up there. Um, And there's a reason for that. And one of the reasons for that, folks, is it's a spiritual battle. There are dark spiritual forces who don't want us to talk about Jesus to other people, okay? Um, And they discourage us, and they suppress us. They make me think, oh, no, I shouldn't do that. And our culture also doesn't really like it, you know? There are these cultural strongholds, like I have talked about already, the stronghold of materialism, the stronghold of just kind of hyper-individualism. You can't bring something to me and tell me that I'm wrong, you know? You can't tell me that what I believe is wrong. That's not right. You know, that's kind of violating when you do that. So, and we kind of sense this, even if we don't think it in our minds, and so we are very kind of like, kind of, I'm not sure if I want to say what I think, you know, because it, it just feels kind of wrong to us because of the culture in which we grow up. But it's spiritual warfare. Now, here's the good news. Paul and Barnabas, it says in our passage, are sent out by the Holy Spirit. Uh, 1 John 1 verse 4 that I alluded to earlier is that famous scripture, he who is within you is greater than he who is in the world. And so the good news about this is that Paul and Barnabas know because they've been sent out by the Holy Spirit that God is with them. They, they, they know they're going to run into opposition, but they don't fear opposition because they know that God is with them. And we, as Christians, can know that he who is in us, that is, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, is greater than he who is in the world. So in the same way that Paul and Barnabas had confidence when they spoke about Jesus Christ, we can also have just this basic confidence that the Spirit that is in us is greater than the Spirit that is in the world. So if we do encounter some kind of opposition, we don't have to be afraid. We know that God is with us, that we're doing something right, in fact. Now, it's interesting. Paul has his power encounter with, uh, with Elymas, eh? He just kind of looks at him and, and starts chewing him out effectively. He gives, uh, he gives Elymas what God's assessment of him is, and it's a pretty poor assessment. But I want us to remember something here. I want us to remember what Paul also says in Ephesians 6, where he says, it's Ephesians 6, verse 12, it's another famous passage. He says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So Paul realizes his battle is not with Elymas, you know. He delivers a message to Elymas. And the message he delivers from the Holy Spirit is, look, this is who you are. I don't know who you think you are, but this is who you are. You oppose God, and you oppose righteousness. 
And then he says, he delivers another message. He says, you're going to be blind for a while. But Eliabus is not the enemy, and Paul recognizes that. Do you remember who else opposed God and was rendered blind for a while in the Bible? Paul was. And now who is he? He's, he's, he's an apostle to the Gentiles. He's on the side of righteousness. His life has been completely transformed. So we, mustn't, we don't know what happens with Eliabus. I'm not saying he got saved like Paul did. Uh, maybe he did, maybe he didn't. But the fact is that opportunity was granted him. He, he saw suddenly that he wasn't on the side of the great, powerful spiritual forces that he thought he was. He was on the side of the weak spiritual forces. So he had the opportunity there to repent. And so, friends, I just want to underline this, that our enemy, our enemies, God's enemies are not people. God's enemies are spiritual. Okay? Now, these spiritual beings interact with people. So people can act in ways that are very, very terrible. But we need to remember fundamentally that God wants to save even the Elymases of this world who are like up to their heads in like dark spiritual forces. Okay? Just something to remember. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, okay, well, I can see how Paul and Barnabas were confident because, you know, they were literally sent out by the church, you know, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, So they can be pretty confident that they're supposed to be talking to people about Jesus. But what about me? You know, I haven't been sent out by the church. Nobody's gathered around me and put their their hands on my head and said, go and preach the gospel to many nations. And yeah, to a point, that's right. You know, the whole church in Antioch didn't go on this mission trip. Two of the leaders did. Two of the leaders were particularly sent out by the Holy Spirit. Um, But... We remember what Jesus said in Matthew 28, when, Matthew, when Jesus said, All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And behold, I will be with you to the end of the age. Now, that is a promise that is given to the whole church. So the whole church, in that sense, owns this mission of telling people about Jesus Christ. Now, there are some people who are particularly set apart for particular missions, like Paul and Barnabas were, and also John, who was with them. Um, But all of us together, we own this mission that Jesus gave the church. Amen? And we might do different things. We We might be praying for the mission. We might be supporting the mission financially. We might be literally going out ourselves, but we're all part of that. And that promise of Jesus to be with his church as the church goes is with all of us. But I want to also point us to another passage, which is from 1 Peter uh, 3, verses 16 and 17. Now here the pressure's on, right? I always forget, is Peter after Hebrews or before? Well, he's after. 1 Peter 3. And he says, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. So Peter's just just saying that to normal Christians. He's not saying that to Christians like Paul and Barnabas who have been sent out on a mission trip. This is just to normal Christians. Um, I apologize that I don't have the same translation that I'm reading as that's on the screen there. I kind of realized that halfway through this message that that was going to happen. But 
And he says, yeah, do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame, for it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So what we are all called to is we are all called to live for Jesus. That's the first part of that passage is, you know, there, there's a life here. There's a, to, to the best of our ability, living for Jesus, um, putting Jesus at the center of our lives. And then when we live that way, Peter says, people might just ask you, what, what's going on with you? Why are you so joyful in this dark circumstance? You know, how do you do that, for instance? And at that opportunity, Peter says, you know, you got you to tell them why. You got to tell them about Jesus and what Jesus has done for you. And Peter says, but I want you to do it with gentleness and with respect. But that's a message for all of us, church. That's something that we are all called to. Now, there's, I think, a pretty important thing here. And something that was beautifully highlighted um, earlier I think it was by grace, just talking about the incredible love of God. And I think that's something that we need to remember. That's something that we need to keep front and center um, in our lives. I think one of the reasons that we are reluctant sometimes to tell people about Jesus Christ, I think one of the reasons I've said before is valid, that there are actually dark spiritual forces which aren't too keen on it and tend to try and keep us down and keep us discouraged, uh, keep us distracted. I think another reason, though, is that we, we kind of forget how good Jesus is. We kind of have this tendency to forget what Jesus has done for us, uh, how Jesus has blessed us, how, in fact, our, our lives have been completely transformed because we have come to know Jesus Christ. We tend to forget that. And so what we need to do is we need to meditate on the goodness of Jesus. We need to take time. We need to take time out of our day, time out of our week, to meditate on the goodness of Jesus Christ to us. And how do we do that? Well, I know um, one story that I've heard uh, about uh, Terry Virgo who is uh, going to be with us in a, a couple months, he and his wife, Wendy, is that if he stays at your house, you know, you're going to hear some worshiping going on early in the morning coming from his bedroom. You know? So that's one way that we can kind of keep in touch with the goodness of Jesus Christ is by worshiping him, setting, setting aside time to worship him. Another way to do that is to really slow down on certain parts of your Bible, as you read the word, just really slow down and go, no, this is for me. This is about me. I want to read one such passage to you. I've been receiving such life just by uh, going very slowly over the book of Ephesians. Uh, there's this guy, Martin Lloyd-Jones, who's written a pretty vast commentary on Ephesians. It's actually not a commentary. They're sermons. And I find reading Ephesians, reading these, these, these commentaries just very slowly, I find myself worshiping. I find myself praising God. I find myself getting life. And uh, there's this prayer that Paul prays for the Ephesians in Ephesians 3. Uh, well, this started at verse 14. Uh, Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, 
He may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And this is the kind of passage that is very useful for us to slow down on, because it actually doesn't do us a lot of good to just talk about, in general, God's love. We've got to take things down to specifics, and to take things down to specifics, we've got to slow down. So he talks about, you know, the breadth and length and height and depth of Christ's love. But what's the breadth of Christ's love? The breadth is a sense of wideness. The breadth of Christ's love is what we encounter in the book of Revelation when we hear about people from all nations, a countless multitude around a throne, worshiping God, worshiping the Lamb. That's the breadth of Jesus' love. Jesus is at work all over the world. And there's countless people, um, billions and billions of people from all over the world, from every ethnicity, in this time, in the past, and in the future, who Jesus is drawing into his kingdom. And that's the incredible breadth of Jesus' love. And we can see the breadth of Jesus' love around us today, just in a small way. What is uh, the, the, the length of Jesus' love? Well, the length of Jesus' love is it's eternal. The Bible says that God chose us from before the foundation of the world. So before the foundation of the world, God knew you. He knew you. And he said, I want you. I will have you. And he chose you. There's no coincidence, if you're a Christian here today, that you have come to faith because God chose you from before the creation of the world. And that love carries on, and we see that love in Jesus Christ as he comes, and that love is eternal. It says we will have eternity with God. That love never ends. That love never dies. And that, folks, is the length of the love of Christ. And what is the height of the love of Christ? Well, the height of the love of Christ is this, that the love of Christ doesn't just bring us forgiveness. I mean, hallelujah, we have forgiveness from sin. Hallelujah, because that spares us so much. But it's more than that. The Bible says not only that does Jesus forgive us our sins, but that he makes us sons and daughters of God, that we become part of God's family. We are adopted into his family. And it says in the Bible that God has prepared a home for us, an eternal home. It says in the Bible that God has given us an inheritance and that we are co-inheritors with Jesus Christ of just the riches of God. It says that, you know, not only are we inheritors, but actually there's going to be this massive wedding party um, at, at, at the end of the ages. And we're invited to this wedding party. And this wedding party is that we, the church, get to be in some sense like married to Jesus Christ. And maybe you're married, or maybe you're not married, but you, you, know, you, you, you saw your parents or some relationships around you, and you can kind of see the intimacy that can exist in a marriage. Teresa and Sarah are doing a nice job right here of uh, illustrating the point. Um, you know, there's going to be this intimacy that we have with Jesus Christ, with God the Father, this knowing and being known, this, this joy 
together that we can't even begin to comprehend. Friends, the gospel is about so much more than just being forgiven of your sins. It's about so much more than that. There is so much more for all of that than just saying, yay, I'm forgiven of my sins. I mean, we should celebrate that, but there's so much more. There's richness. There's Christ dwelling in our hearts through faith. That's something I've barely scratched the surface of, and I bet a lot of us have barely scratched the surface of. And that's why it pays to slow down on Scripture and meditate on Scripture. And finally, we're talking about the depth of the love of God. And what is the depth of the love of God? The depth of the love of God is that he came from heaven, this creator God, and came down to earth, and he humbled himself. And he became a little baby, and he was born to nobodies, and he became a nobody, and he suffered for us. He suffered a brutal death. He suffered a brutal death, but, but, but more than that, he suffered the weight of our sins. I don't know about you, I read the news too much. And I read about the Ukraine war, and I read about what's happening there, and I'm not going to get into it, but it settles like a weight on my soul sometimes when I read what is happening. Can you imagine the weight of the entire war, all that sin, all that destruction, all that evil, settling on Jesus Christ? Because that's what happened. That's what he did. That's what he took on for the joy that was set before him. That is the depth of the love of God. So friends, sometimes I think that we don't want to speak of Jesus Christ because we forget about the length and the breadth and the height and the depth of his love and what that has meant to us. And do we need that love? Is it good? Is it good for other people too? Is it good even if they're living a very different lifestyle they might have to make some significant changes? Yeah, it is. It is good. It is good. It is good. Now, so there's a, a couple of things I'd like us to try this week. Um, I'd like us to try praying. Because speaking to people about Jesus is spiritual warfare. And you don't want to go into a war unprepared. Ask the Russian army. It's going very badly for them, if you didn't know. Hallelujah. Because they didn't prepare well. But we want to be prepared. And how can we be prepared? We can pray. We can specifically pray for this. We can specifically pray for that 1 Peter 3 passage. As we live, acknowledging Jesus Christ as the Lord of our life, and people come to us and say, Hey, what's, what is it about you? What is it about the hope that you have? Well, let's pray for those situations. We don't need to manipulate anything. We don't need to go out with our four spiritual laws booklets or whatever have you. I'm not asking us to do anything except what is put here. Let's just pray. Let's begin there. Let's just pray to God and say, God, are there particular people in my life who you are working in right now? I can't see it, but you're working in them. And if there are, God, can you bring them across my path? And can you make something happen like we see here? Peter says, respond to what God is doing. Respond when somebody asks you, asks you, you know, what's, what's the reason for the hope in you? But let's pray for that to happen, church. We see that it can happen. Well, let's pray for that to happen. Let's be active in that sense. Let's pray for that to happen. Let's pray, God, could you please bring people across my path, people that I know, 
Maybe it's my neighbor, maybe it's my brother, maybe who knows. But can you bring them across my path? People that you're working on, people that I can just share with in a very natural way because I didn't create the situation because you created the situation, God. That's what I would love us to do, church. That's the big takeaway point this week. Let's just start there. Uh, let's try and pray every day. But let's, let's not be legalist about it. I'd, I'd love it if we could pray every day. If you miss a day, it's okay. Let's not worry about it, okay? But let's do that. Let's have, let's have faith. Let's have faith that, no, God can do this. And let's have faith that, man, Jesus' love is good for me, and it's good for everybody. Amen? All right. Kind of lost track of Eden. Edie, are you here? she behind me? No. <laughs> I think we just need... Uh, I just love to pray with us. Just love to pray. Um, if you would love the leading of the Holy Spirit in, in just bringing you to people who need to know about Jesus, could you raise your hand? Just be that bold. Just say, this is me. I'm opting into this one. Okay. Thank you. Dear Father, that is what we pray for. We pray that you would guide us. Help us to live for you, Lord. First of all, help us to live lives that are holy. Help us to, to live with Jesus at the center of our lives, Lord. And Lord God, we pray that you would bring people across our path that you are working on, Lord. Our friends, our brothers, our neighbors, the bus driver. Holy Spirit, please bring people across our path that you are working on and that want to know about Jesus, that are open. And then, and Holy Spirit, we pray that you would create those situations like we see in 1 Peter 3, where people ask, hey, what's the deal with you? And Lord, when that happens, when those opportunities come, Holy Spirit, I, I ask that you would give us a little tap on the shoulder and then give us just that boldness and that clarity that the Apostle Paul needed and that we need just to talk about Jesus. Because, Lord, we know that talking about Jesus is spiritual warfare, Lord. We know that it goes against the power of the kingdom of darkness, Lord. But we know that the, that the power that is in us, he that is in us, you, Holy Spirit, are greater than he that is in the world. And so we have confidence. We have confidence, Lord, that you will work and you will do amazing things. And, Lord, help us. I pray that you would provoke us every day to pray for this. Um, and Lord God, we just look forward. We just look forward to what you're going to do. We have such a wonderful faith uh, because it's in your word, Lord God. We have a wonderful faith about what you are going to do. And Lord God, may we be channels of your peace, Lord God. May we be conduits of your grace, Lord God. God, I pray that everybody here, that we would have a story to tell of just speaking about Jesus to somebody and helping somebody find the way to eternal life out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Amen. Okay, we're going to sing.